Christ loves them, about what Jesus did for them. They are helping raise up the next generation of people to point them towards God. And they put a lot of time and energy. They give up Sundays so that they're not part of the sermon because they're up there teaching. They're up there singing. They're up there playing games and having fun and being with the kids of this church. So for everybody who is, I know there's a bunch of them up there right now, but for everyone else who is involved in King's Table, thank you for doing that ministry. Thank you for being part of that. It's so important. If that's something that interests you, if you're getting involved that way, um, we'd love to just get some information from you. If you want to use those connect cards that Daniel talked about, you can circle on their children's ministry and we'll get you connected. It doesn't commit you to being part of the team. It just gets you some information um, and lets us know that you're interested so that we can pair you up with the right person. And you can come check it out on Sunday, see what it's all about. Uh, we'll train you, we'll get you ready, and then you can jump in um, if that's something that interests you. So thank you to everybody that's involved in King's Table, everybody that's involved with children's ministry. This morning, we're going to be uh, in Matthew chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in a seat back around you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, you can keep that one that's in the seat back around you. Nobody's going to stop you if you're walking out the door with that Bible. We love giving Bibles away. And if you are using that seat back Bible, it's on page 820 is what you're looking for. Page 820, uh, we're going to be in Matthew 14. So we started a series a few weeks ago called Work in Progress, Learning from the Apostle Peter. And so we've talked about how Peter is that everyman. He is the guy that everybody can connect with in some way because Peter is just a regular guy. He's a fisherman from a small town. He grew up in a fisherman family, and that's kind of just been all that he has been his whole life. And then Jesus shows up, and Jesus says, no, you're more than a fisherman. You are the rock. You have potential. You I can make into a fisher of men. Follow me. And so we've been looking and learning from the Apostle Peter and his experience living uh, in close proximity to Jesus. And so last week we looked at a story of Jesus healing an older woman who had a bleeding situation and then bringing a young girl back from the dead. And we said last week it was a story where Peter was there, but he wasn't, it wasn't really a Peter story. Peter was kind of there in the background. And we had to kind of try and put, our shoe, put ourselves in Peter's shoes and, and observe what Jesus was doing to learn from Peter. This morning is a bit different. Today we're going to look at one of the more famous uh, accounts, one of the more famous stories of the Bible. There are certain stories of the Bible, because our God is big and awesome and epic, there are certain stories in the Bible that transcend Christianity, right? That get out of the church and become part of pop culture and become part of the mainstream, right? David and Goliath, um, you have uh, the Ten Commandments, and then you have this story. I think this is one of those times, because we're going to look at this morning, Jesus walking on water. And because this is a series learning from the Apostle Peter, Peter also walks on the water. Jesus and Peter walking on the water. This is an account, this is another reminder for us and for the disciples of who Jesus is and that he is always at work in our lives. Even when it may not look like it's him at work, even when it may look scary and dark and hard, Jesus is always at work in our lives. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump into Matthew 14. So please bow your heads and pray with me. God, we thank you for another day to gather and to worship and to celebrate you. God, we thank you for revealing yourself to us, both in the scriptures and through sending us your son, Jesus. Lord, you have called your people to be meek, to be satisfied in you, to be merciful and pure in heart and peacemakers. You called us to be salt and light of the earth. But God, the reality is we can't do any of that without you. So Lord, teach us. Show us that we might be that reflection of your love and grace in the world. Show us, teach us how to be these 
is salt and light in this world. Lord, as we open up the scriptures and as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So before we jump into Matthew 14, I want to set the scene a little bit. So Matthew 14 starts with John the Baptist has died. We talked way back a couple weeks ago. John the Baptist was the one who set the table for Jesus, right? His ministry was repent of your sins, be baptized, someone greater than me is coming. That was what John did. And then Jesus shows up. Jesus is that greater one. And so John starts to minimize the story. He starts to take a, a back seat to Jesus. And John, uh, Matthew 14 starts with his death. And he dies basically because he's a prophet, because he's speaking truth, and those in charge don't usually like that, and so he gets his head cut off. Going on in Matthew 14, Jesus then has another one of those stories that kind of transcends and gets into the mainstream. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus with a group of people. It says Jesus feeds 5,000 men. That doesn't include the women and children. So you're looking at seven, nine, 10,000, somewhere in that range, depending on uh, which scholar you're looking at. But Jesus is on a hillside with these people. It's, they're hungry. And so Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to feed them. They have no food. And so this little boy comes up with five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus blesses the food. The disciples start passing it out. And everyone in the crowd is full. The word actually that they use to say full is gluttonous. They are full to the extreme. It's one of those things where you eat that like really big dinner and you just can't move and it's a little hard to breathe. You know, like Thanksgiving dinner kind of full. That's the kind of full they are. And then on top of that, there are 12 baskets, big baskets full of bread and fish left over. Jesus has just done this amazing miracle in front of the disciples, showing, look at the power, look at the authority that I have here. But it wasn't enough. Jesus wanted to take this a step further. He wanted to show his disciples one more time, this is who I am. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 22 of Matthew 14. So go ahead and read with me. The words are going to be on the screen, but then they will disappear forever. So uh, have your Bibles open. Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. We're going to stop right there. It says in verse 22, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. Jesus knows everything. right? Jesus knows all things. Jesus knows there's a storm coming on the sea. But it says Jesus made them get into the boat. What do we know about Peter, James, John, and Andrew so far from being in this series? They're fishermen. Not only are they fishermen, they are lifelong fishermen. They are generational fishermen. These are guys who lived on the sea. These are guys who knew weather patterns, who could tell when it was safe, when it was not, when they should go out to fish, when they shouldn't. This word here, when it says Jesus made them get into the boat, this word is translated constrained in some translations, insisted, really forced them to get into the boat. So the way I see it is, I think a conversation had happened. I think Jesus said, get into the boat, I'll meet you on the other side. I think the disciples said, A, we don't want to leave you. B, Jesus, there's a storm a-brewing. It's not really the great, greatest idea to get into this boat. 
But at the end of the day, you're going to argue with Jesus, you will lose. And Jesus made them get into the boat. Why would Jesus send them knowing there was a storm? Why would he send them into a storm? Jesus has a reason for sending them out into the sea. Just because you are in a storm, just because life is hard and dark and scary and messy, it does not mean God isn't there. It does not mean that God isn't there. There are storms of our own doing, right? There are times where we find ourselves in the midst of a storm in our life because of our own poor decisions. But not every storm is an attack from Satan. Not every storm is the worst thing in the world. Not every storm is bad. Sometimes God uses storms to teach us what he couldn't teach us when things were calm. Jesus has a reason for sending them into the storm. So they go into the boat, and they start sailing. What does Jesus do? Jesus needs some alone time. He just spent this day with the 5,000. He just did this huge miracle. He needs some alone time. So he goes up into the mountain to have some alone time with his dad, to be with his heavenly father. Which, side note, this has nothing to do with the sermon. Are you spending alone time with God? Are you regularly, consistently getting time in your day where you can just be with him? Because yes, you're busy. Yes, you got a lot of things going on. Yes, we live in a noisy world where there's constantly technology dinging and pinging at us and tweeting at us. Are you finding time to be alone with your Heavenly Father? Jesus made it a point. He would spend time with people, but then often, if you read through the Gospels, he's off by himself. Not because he just needed to get away from people. He needed to get time with his dad. He needed to get time with his Heavenly Father. He needed to get time with God. Are you making time for him? So evening comes. This storm that they all knew was coming has finally hit and is starting to pick up. It said they are being beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Mark's account, in Mark's gospel, his account of this says, he, in Mark 6.48 it says, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Another translation says, they were straining at the oars. Rowing in a storm, sailing in a storm is never fun. I think I've talked about this a little bit, but my first real job, I was a lifeguard here in the city. I was a lifeguard down at Kathy Osterman Beach, Hollywood Beach, depending on how you know the beach. Um, and if you've been down to the beach in Chicago, you know that, yeah, that beach. Um, so if you've been a lifeguard in Chicago, or you've been down to the beach in Chicago, you've seen the lifeguards out in the boat. That's kind of first line of defense. If there's somebody an ankle deep in the water, they're taking a boat out. And the boat is out because, A, they can kind of get from part to part a little bit easier. They can survey the scene a little bit easier, as well as um, the boat the boat line, when all the lifeguards are out, are the kind of farthest you can go into the water. So, like, 90% of my job was, hey, move in. Hey, move in. And that's what I did a lot for a couple of summers. But you also know in Chicago, it gets really windy here. We're actually known for our wind and our storms. And... Storms can pick up on the lake so much so that they can, the waves can get so big, they crash over and flood Lakeshore Drive sometimes. But sometimes those storms happen and there's no lightning. And people still want to go swimming. And so there were many a day where I was out in the boat, and it's raining, and it's like raining sideways, and these waves are coming, and there's people that are playing in the water. So I'm out in the boat. And the thing about rowing in those kind of conditions is that uh, the waves tend to push you in. So often, I'm having to row back out. And the waves hit me and push my boat in, so I'm rowing back out. And they push me, and it's back and forth, back and forth. 
And then the waves push you from side to side, right? So like if you guys are all the swimmers and I'm the lifeguard, I want to be kind of where I'm at right now, kind of in the middle so I can watch everybody. But the waves will send me this way. So I got to go over here and then I got to row back to get back to where I want to be. Or the waves will send me this way. And I got to row back and get back to where I want to be. What I learned firsthand a couple of times is that when you are rowing back, right, when your boat is turned sideways and you are trying to get back to where you want to be, if you don't do it quick enough and a wave hits your boat, what happens? The boat gets flipped and you end up in the water. This happened to me multiple times. One time, I was rowing and it was a big storm. And the rain's hit me and I'm getting wet because the boat, the waves are coming over the boat and I'm trying to row backwards and there was a sandbar at, at Osterman Beach at Hollywood. There's a little sandbar there and I wasn't past the sandbar. And so I row and my oar gets stuck in the sandbar just as a wave hits the back of my boat. And so the oar kind of worked as a lever and just launched me into the water. <laughs> the boat goes over, I broke an oar, I end up in the water, and I was still out there for like an hour and a half because I didn't get any relief. Um, all of that to say, I am not a professional fisherman at all, but rowing in a storm is hard. It says in verse 25 that it's fourth watch. Fourth watch is somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Remember, they left sometime in lunch, sometime after lunch, right? They do the feeding of the 5,000, and then it says evening came. So they left during the day. Evening comes. Evening moves into early morning. It's sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. The disciples have been rowing this whole time. In one of the other Gospels, it says they've gotten about three miles out. That's not very far. They're tired. They're sore. They're wet. They're cold. They're probably a little frustrated at Jesus. I knew this was going to happen. Why did he make us come out here? I knew we were going to get stuck in this storm. And for all of that to happen, them being tired and sore and beaten and frustrated and cold, now in verse 26 it says, they see Jesus walking on the water and they think it's a ghost. Things have gotten from bad to worse. Because it's one thing to be rowing in a storm. It's another thing to be rowing in a storm with a ghost. <laughs> they see Jesus walking towards them. You notice in the Gospels, Jesus is never running. He's never running every, anywhere, right? Jesus is always just walking. We talked last week, God's timing is always perfect. He is never late to anything. Jesus is walking out to them. So Jesus shows up in verse 27, and he says to them, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart, have courage, be strong. It is I. This could be read one of two ways. It could be the colloquial, though. It's like, hey, guys, it's me. Don't worry about it. It's just Jesus, not a ghost. Or you can read that, and the way it's phrased is, I am. In the same way that when Moses was out and he saw the burning bush, and the burning bush, God spoke through the burning bush and said, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to tell him, let my people go. And Moses says, who sent me? In the burning bush, God speaks to him and says, tell him I am sent you. Jesus here says, take heart. I am is here. Yahweh is here on the water with you. Don't be afraid. Trust me. There's nothing to fear about this situation. Why were they afraid? 
They weren't afraid because of the storm. They're fishermen. This is a Tuesday for them. They were afraid because they misidentified who Jesus was. They didn't understand that God was with them. There will be times in our life where God comes to you. God shows up in your life in a different way than he normally shows up in your life. Ways that are different from how he has showed up in the past. And we need to be able to identify him. When God speaks, can you hear him? In the midst of the chaos and storms of life, can you identify, can you hear and trust God's word? Jesus says, it's me. Don't fear. Remember, Jesus is the one who put them out in the storm. He has been in control of the situation the whole time. He has a reason for them being out on the sea. We're going to pick it up in verse 28. Jesus just said, take heart as I do not be afraid. Verse 28 says, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So we get Peter's response. Jesus walks on water and he says, Calm down, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. Peter's response, if it's really you, Jesus, command me to come out to you on the water. Here we get a little bit of glimpse into Peter. Who asks that question? There is a storm blowing. There is a storm that has kept professional fishermen only three miles away from their destination. They've only gotten three miles into the lake. This storm is big. It's hard. Who asks let me come out into the water. How is that your first thought, Peter? Peter has a tendency, as we read the Gospels, where his mouth moves a little bit quicker than his brain works sometimes. Because I think if it's me, and Jesus says, take heart, don't be afraid, it's I, I would say, if it's really you, Jesus, make the storm stop. Right? They've seen him do it before. Jesus, just make the storm stop. Or Jesus... Get the, like, make the boat fly to the land. Like, anything. Just other than, let me come out onto the water with you. But that's not what Peter asks. Though he is tired and he has had a long day, what did Peter see just a few hours before? G Peter was on the land with Jesus and saw Jesus take a kid's picnic and feed thousands of people. Yes, his question, his ask of Jesus is impulsive. And it's not really thought out, and it's a little bit on the ridiculous side. But Peter has faith in Jesus. He has the faith in Jesus to ask for the impossible. Because I think we can all agree, it is impossible to walk on water. In the midst of the chaos and storms of life, can you identify, hear, and trust God's word? Because that's really what Peter had to go on here. Jesus responds to Peter, and he gives Peter one word. Come. The decision for Peter to get out of the boat is based on one word. Come. I don't know about you, but like in my life, I have prayed a lot of prayers for asking God for direction. 
Things like, God, show me your will. God, close any other doors of possibility for this situation. Let me just know specifically where you want me to go. Tell me what you want, God. God, I, God, I think this is where you want me to go. I think I'm heading in the right direction, but I'm not totally sure. Can you just make it abundantly clear? Can you show me exactly what you want me to do here? What we see from Peter is that he hears the word of God and he steps out. He gets out of the boat. You want to know if you're walking in the will of God? You want to know if you're pursuing what God wants you to be pursuing? Start walking. Start doing. Get out of the boat. God called to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to leave your homeland. Leave everything you know. Leave everybody you know and take a walk. And where I tell you to stop, that is the land I am promising you and your descendants. But you have to leave everything and trust me. Noah, I am going to flood the earth. I am going to destroy everything and start over. But I will save you and your family if you will build an ark. What's an ark? It's a big boat, Noah. Just build it. Joshua, Joshua, I know the city of Jericho looks scary. They got these giant walls. They are fortified. But I have promised you this land. I have promised that these people will fall at your hand. All you have to do, Joshua, is lead the people around the city. Just take a walk. Walk around the walls and they will come tumbling down. We ask these questions often. God, will you really provide for me? Can I really trust you, God? If I follow you, will you really have my back? Don't just sit in the boat asking questions. You've got to get out of the boat. You've got to have faith to get out of the boat. So what is that for you? Where is it that God is calling you to? What is it? Is it a ministry in church? Is it something where it's, I think I could, I'd like to get involved there, but you know what? It's scary. I don't think I'm qualified. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm the kind of person who can lead a community group. I don't think I'm the kind of person who can do King's Table. But is God calling you? Is God putting something on your heart for that? I can't be a missionary. That's not me, God. That must not be for me. No way. Seminary seems too hard. Going after that promotion, a job, that promotion, going after that school, applying to that school, trying to get into that relationship. There's too much, too big. There's too many roadblocks. It's too hard. What is God calling you to? What is God saying, come, about? Peter had the faith to get out of the boat on just one word. Are you willing to trust in Jesus? Even when it's dark, even when it's stormy and messy and scary, will you get out of the boat and trust him, even if you can't totally see him or where you're going? Because trust, trusting in his calling is what he wants you to do. And we see Peter gets out of the boat. Verse 29 says, Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. For some of you, you grew up in church, and this is the four millionth time you've read this passage, you've heard this preached. Peter got out of the boat and walked on water. He did the impossible. Peter is just a guy from a small town, and he walked on the water. It's amazing. It is literally impossible. And everything was fine. 
He walked on the water. He came to Jesus. Everything was fine until, until Peter saw the strength of the wind and the waves and the storm, and he began to sink. Now we can read that, and I'm sure you've, you've read it and you've heard it taught and preached that the lesson here is keep your eyes on Jesus. If he would have just kept his eyes on Jesus, if he would have just focused on Jesus, he would have been fine. He would have walked on the water the whole time. Everything would have been fine. He wouldn't have sunk. If we just keep our eyes on Jesus, when things get hard, we won't sink. I don't think that's what the point of the story is. I don't think this is about the bigness or littleness of the faith of Peter. Because honestly, if this is a story about people's faith, if this is a story examining the degree to which people have faith, then yeah, Peter sunk. Peter took his eyes off Jesus, he doubted, and he started to sink. But there's 11 other guys sitting in the boat who didn't even get out. If Peter has too little of faith, what does that say about the 11 other disciples? This isn't about Peter's faith. Because Peter is not able to walk on water because of his faith. He is able to walk on water because of Jesus. Peter knew that. He said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Peter understood that while he had the faith that Jesus could make this happen, that without Jesus, it wasn't going to happen, and he was just going to cannonball right in. It's not that Peter had great faith. It's that Jesus is great. Jesus had a reason for them being out on the sea that day. He had just shown on land his power and his authority by feeding the 5,000 with some fish and bread. And here now he shows them again by walking on the water, by allowing Peter to walk on the water. This was for Peter. This was for the disciples. There's nobody else around. This story is for us. It teaches us that it makes sense to put our faith in Jesus that he is powerful enough, that he is trustworthy enough, that he is in control all the time, always. It means that we can pray and say, God, I don't understand what you're doing. I can't quite see where we are going. This doesn't really make sense to me, but I know that you are in control. I know that I can get out of this boat and do what seems to be impossible because you are in control and I trust you. Jesus is, is teaching his disciples. He's teaching us, trust me. I am for you, and I have the control over all things. This isn't about Peter's faith. Because if Peter walking on water was just about his faith, why then, when he gets fearful because of the wind, why doesn't he just normally sink like any other normal person? He takes his eyes off Jesus, right? He starts to doubt. He starts to fear. Why doesn't he just drop in? It says he began to sink. Drowning is not a leisurely activity that slowly happens over time. This just kind of starts to happen. He kind of starts to sink. Peter can only walk on water because Jesus allowed it, which means Peter begins to sink because Jesus allowed it. The idea that if Peter would have just stayed focused on Jesus and he would have been fine, that idea makes it seem like Jesus has no part in this. That he isn't in control. And we know that's just not true. Peter begins to sink. 
And good for Peter because he realizes he begins to sink and he cries out, save me, help, God, I'm in trouble. And verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. Jesus immediately reached out his hand. He is trustworthy. When we fail, when we start to sink, and out of fear and desperation, we cry out, Lord, save me. He will be there for you. He will save you. Peter needed to learn this lesson. We needed to learn this lesson. Peter needed to know that Jesus would save him. Just because it's a storm, just because it's hard, doesn't mean God isn't in it. And so Jesus grabs Peter and pulls him up, and Jesus responds in verse 31. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He's not scolding Peter. He's not being harsh with him. He doesn't, he doesn't just let him sink. Jesus is there for Peter. And he asks this question, why did you doubt? What was it that made you think I, wasn't, I was going to let you get hurt? What was it that made you think I wasn't there for you, that I'm right here for you? What are the strong winds? What are the big waves? What are those things? What are those storms in your life where you see them, you hear the howling of the wind, and you begin to doubt God? Where are those areas of your life where you say, this is really big and scary, and I don't know if God can take me out of this? What are those things in your life that make you forget just how powerful your God is? That makes you forget, even for just a moment, that he is in control. Jesus isn't scolding Peter. This is Jesus teaching Peter. He picks Peter up. Now what's interesting is that he picks Peter up, and they're still standing on the water. They're still in the midst of the storm. The wind is still howling. The waves are still crashing. The boat is still getting tossed around. Jesus says, why did you doubt, Peter? This is like the coach going to his player after he misses the shot. and Hey, why'd you miss that shot? He's not trying to rebuke him. He's not trying to be critical of him or be mean. This is, Peter, what'd you do wrong? What can you learn for next time? It's a lesson that we're going to see in a couple of weeks. Peter was going to have to learn again the hard way. It's a lesson that I think normally we have to learn over and over again. That there's no reason to doubt God. There's no reason to not trust him because he is good and he is in all control. And it's a lesson that Peter was going to have to keep on learning because there would be more storms for Peter. There will be storms for you. There will be scary times. There will be waves crashing and winds blowing. And we need to remember in those times that the God we serve, the God we have put our faith in, is in control always. Yes, Peter got distracted. Peter had fear and doubt in him. But we see that in the way that Jesus is right there immediately, the way Jesus talks to him, this isn't a rebuke. He isn't mad at Peter. Jesus shows grace to Peter. And they're still standing on the water in the midst of the storm. Because it says in verse 32, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. I don't know how far Peter walked on the water. I don't know how far he made it before he fell. But Jesus grabs him. 
and together, whether Jesus was carrying him or he walked with Peter, together they walked, they got back to the boat. And I think it's really intentional that that storm doesn't let up until they're back in the boat. Jesus and Peter together go through the storm on the water. He doesn't leave Peter scared and alone, stuck sinking and drowning. Jesus saves Peter. Jesus saves you. He saves me. It's what he does. Jesus saves. That's why he went to the cross. He went to the cross for that very reason, to save, to save us from ourselves, to save us from our rebellion, to save us from our sin and our fear and our anxiety and our hate and our doubt and our unbelief and our lies and our lust and our greed and our anger and our selfishness, our pride, our envy. Jesus went to the cross and died for all of that, for every sin that has ever been committed from Adam and Eve biting into that fruit and screwing things up in the beginning, all the way up to the cross and every sin that will be ever committed, Jesus paid the penalty for. He dies so we don't have to. He gets punished so we don't have to. And in doing so, he gives us new life. He picks us up when we are drowning. He picks us up and steadies ourselves and he gives us new life where he is with us as we are God's sons and daughters. Jesus will meet you in the midst of your storm, in the midst of you failing, in the midst of you sinking. And if you will cry out to him, Jesus will save you. He will not scold you. He will not accuse you. He will not belittle you. He will not be angry at you. He will be there with you and for you in the storm. Jesus had a reason for sending them out on the sea. He said a reason for sending them out into a storm that everybody knew was coming. Because he had things that he wanted them to learn. Storms, while scary, are not always a bad thing. Just because you are in a storm doesn't mean God isn't there. Jesus wanted his disciples to learn that he is God, that he can heal lepers, that he can raise little girls from the dead, that he can take a kid's lunchable and feed thousands of people. He can walk on water. The winds and the seas obey him. He is in complete control over all things Always, there is no storm, there is no issue, no sin that is too big for Jesus to handle. You will find yourself in a storm at some point in your life. And when you do, remember that Jesus is greater than whatever storm you find yourself in. So Jesus calls Peter out onto the water. And in that moment, Peter had a choice to make, to follow the command of Jesus and get out of the boat or to ignore it and stay back. Peter decides to trust Jesus. Get out of the boat. Are you willing to get out of the boat to trust that God is calling you to something? That even though you might not be able to understand it, you might not be able to see it fully, even though it might seem overwhelming and near impossible, will you trust that he is calling you to something? That he is in control? Peter walked on water. He did that because he trusted Jesus. Because he trusted Jesus, he got to do amazing things. But he also got distracted. He also let fear and doubt creep in. And he began to question Jesus' power. And he started to sink. But even in that, even in our failure, even in those times we question, 
even in our weaknesses, we see two things. We see that when those times come, when we are overwhelmed and scared and feel like we are sinking and God isn't with us, if you will call out to Jesus, he will save you. He is faithful to save. And we see that after Jesus saves Peter, there isn't a lecture. He isn't mad. There is grace. There is love. There is compassion. There is Jesus with Peter together in the storm. He will not leave you alone. Jesus had a plan. He had a reason for sending them out into the sea to teach them about who he is, that he is powerful, that he is gracious, that he is compassionate. That is the God we serve, the God who walks on water. This is the God who will be with you in any and every storm. Let's pray.